you want to be turning in your Bibles to Matthew, the fourth chapter, I have a number of scripture that I would like for us to look at this morning. But if you look at Matthew 4 and 1, I want to talk to you this morning about the devices of the devil. I don't preach a lot on the devil because it's not a very happy subject. But at the same time, we speak about the strategies and devices of Satan. I think it's important that God's children understand the way that Satan works. And this has been on my mind for a number of weeks. And I think most notably because of some things that happened here back in the summer. And maybe you haven't thought about this, but if you'll remember before the COVID outbreak landed among us, I don't know if you remember, but in the weeks before that, we had been re-engaging in a lot of fellowship and times, and I'd put up that little scoreboard out there. Do y'all remember that? Everybody chuckles and says, oh yeah, that was neat. And it said Bethlehem Primitive Baptist Church, the hard shells, you know, had a score there and it had Satan, you know, and I had the number of times that we, I had calculated that we had missed during the first round of COVID there, you know, it was 20 something times. And so I had a score, scorecard going, you know, where we'd, you know, we'd get a point and we'd get another point. So I think the last time I kept the score prior to the COVID outbreak, I think it was something like, you know, 23 to 12 or something like that, you know, we'd laugh about it. And uh, I don't know, that humbled me. Because as I was keeping score, I, I think I think Satan stuck his head in and took a look at that scoreboard. I really do. Maybe we'll understand it better by and by. But I think at some point Satan looked in there and he said, I'll show him. <laughs> Dumped a big load of COVID. Now, you know, maybe you think that's crazy thinking. Well, it may be a little bit crazy, but we're called to be just a little bit crazy in serving the Lord. It's not any crazier than sitting in a freezing stadium, you know, in 10 or 15 degree weather screaming your head off at a football team or something like that. That really humbled me. And you're never going to see that scoreboard again. I'll tell you that much. Because we never need to underestimate the enemy. He's powerful. And whether you realize it or not, he is having his way right now. This is his time. I don't have any doubt in my mind that we're living in the season in which Satan has been loosed that speaks of in Revelation 20, where it says he will go forth and deceive the nations once again. If you notice there, the language tells us that the Lord bound him. I believe that he was bound whenever Jesus Christ came here because Christ was sending out the devils out of people just left and right, left and right. And since the time of Christ, you will not find a world dominating power that remained on the throne for any significant period of time. The Roman empire went down a couple hundred years, 300 years or so after Christ's time. And since that time, there's been people that have struggled to try to gain power over the world, over the nations. And as we're getting closer to the time that the Lord comes, we'll see the rise of a world power again. And I don't know, some of you that think about politics, there's never been a nation on the planet since the days of Christ, like the United States of America, that was founded on principles of religious freedom. But look at where we are today. Interesting, huh? So as we speak about the strategies of Satan, I want you to think about your life and the things that you face in your life and see if you can identify some of these areas. Because whether you realize it or not, whether that really was Satan dumping a load of COVID on us and getting everybody sick, I mean, he did it with Job. Whether that really was Satan or not, we'll understand that better by and by. But he's there and he's seeking to destroy you. And he's seeking to destroy me. And nothing would please Satan more than if we walked out of here today as a church and closed the doors to the church, locked it and put a lock on it and never returned again. 
Nothing would please Satan more. That's how he thinks. So I humbly say, let's look carefully at some characteristics of Satan and how he deals with us. And let's be humbled and think, oh, oh, I see that in my life. I see where he, I've been prideful or this has affected me or he's tempted me and I've given in. The first thing I want you to see in Matthew 4 and 1, very simple. It says, then was Jesus led of the spirit into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. <laughs> Satan is the tempter. Satan is the master of temptation. You understand Satan has been around since the Lord created the good angel, the beautiful angel that chose to become what we know as the devil. God created him good. He created just like he created Adam and Eve. He was good and innocent. And Satan chose to become what we know as Satan. So the responsibility of what Satan is does not fall back to God. It's all on Satan for making the choice to be lifted up in pride and fall like he did. And Satan is the master of temptation. He's been around for thousands of years and he's been able to strategize and and manipulate and just that's what he masters in and if we think that we can go toe to toe with satan we're not thinking right now the lord will stand with us and the lord will but we have to do it on his terms we have to resist satan on god's terms not on our strength because we can't go toe to toe with satan so satan tempts and the, one of the things that Satan wants you to think and maybe, maybe specifically this is on my mind because of the young people in the crowd especially those that are in school, maybe college, maybe high school, or even even younger than high school. The one thing that Satan wants you to think is that you are alone, that you don't have anybody that is with you. That is a tactic of Satan. There's nobody that can understand me. There's nobody that can deal with what I'm dealing with. That is what Satan wants. Let me tell you, child of God, whatever your age may be, you have never been more alone than Christ was. He was completely alone on the cross and he did what he did for us. So Christ is, if you say, well, I don't have anybody that can identify with me. I seriously doubt that because Lord willing, you have parents, you have friends, you have brother Tim. (laughs) You can talk to me. He said, that's weird talking to the preacher. Why? Why is that weird? It's what God, God's given the gift of the ministry to the people of God to get through this life until the Lord comes back. (laughs) Why would you say that's weird? You may say, well, you're weird. I get it. I am. I'm pretty weird. But the, the gift of the ministry is not weird. It's just me that's weird, you see? So you're, not, you're not alone. You have the Lord looking upon you and loving you even when you don't realize it. So Satan tempts. That's a tactic of Satan. And if Satan tempts someone and gets them and gets them to succumb to the temptation, it kind of leads us into the second characteristic of Satan, which is Mark, the fifth chapter. You read in verse one, when Jesus comes over to the other side of the sea in the country, of the Gadarenes, here we have a man, the wild Gadarene, who had given in to temptation. We don't know all of the details about how the wild Gadarene came to be possessed of Satan. But listen. There is no question that Satan wants to possess you. Now, demon possession and Satan possession of individuals is something that's been kicked around for years. You know, what does it mean? What does it look like today? I don't know the answer to that. Okay? But I can just tell you where Satan hangs out. You know, he hangs out in places where there is temptation. And whether it's the extreme use of drugs like methamphetamines or things like that where people hallucinate, I can tell you all kinds of horror stories about drugs and their impact and alcohol and its impact. 
and the things that people say and the things that people do when they're under those types of influences, it seems the, the harder the type of drug, the worse that type of influence becomes. And it sounds a lot like demon possession. Because <laughs> people do things very similar to what I've seen the wild Gadarean do. Now, I'm not sitting there saying every time somebody you know, ingests a drug or ingests alcohol that suddenly they're possessed of Satan. I don't understand all of that. And you could probably lose your mind studying and trying to figure all that out. <laughs> But there's no question that the characteristics of drug use, alcohol use, and giving into such temptation and things like that, even fornication and things like that, will lead to a form of possession where the person is possessed of that drug. The first time a person does methamphetamine is the highest high they will ever get. And so they have to use more and more to try to get back to that level that they started out at, and they'll never reach that level, so it just it basically just sucks them dry of their life, you see? I tell you, if that's not a possession, I don't know what is. I've seen people that were in their 40s that looked like they were close to death. Their life has just been sucked out of them by being possessed of something like that. And I can tell you about individuals who ingested drugs and then nobody could contain them. I've tried cases that involve things like this where we'd have strong, young deputies they could not. They could tase them. They'd tase them five times. They'd tase them ten times. It didn't affaze these individuals who were under the influence, under the possession of some drug. Very, very similar to the wild Gadarean. There's a lot of people that have been possessed of things that are not necessarily meth or marijuana or drugs, cocaine, drugs like that, or even alcohol. There's a lot of people that have been possessed of things when temptation gets a hold of them. You know, things like pornography. You say, well, those are extreme things. Those things never happened to me. Well, you could, just, you could just be simply possessed of watching TV or binge watching. You see, that's a form of possession where you just can't put it down. Something that you can't put down in its most basic form is a possession. It possesses you. <laughs> I've joked and said before, you know, you, this could happen. You say, well, surely we're far enough away from Thanksgiving now that I can preach a little bit on gluttony. <laughs> you know, I've, I've repented of my sin. I've eaten too much. I hope you have. <laughs> But, you know, you could be possessed of eating too much. You know, I've told you before, I, my mouth starts watering when I look at that Reese's cup. And I start thinking, I just, I've got to have it. To, to, in order to take care of that desire, I, I've got to have it. Mmm, it tastes so good. <laughs> well, in one sense, that's, that kind of possesses me, and I want to taste that. You see? That's temptation. There's nothing wrong with eating a Reese's cup. But, you know, if you ate three or four hundred, you know, you'd, you'd have a problem. <laughs> so, you understand, possession... Satan possessing you in its most simplest form is when the temptation takes a hold of you and you give in to it. I hope that makes sense. Now I want you to see this guy here. He is in an extreme possession mode. It says they came over to the other side of the sea in the country of the Gadarenes. And here where they met this man in the tombs with an unclean spirit. Satan has possessed him. He had given in to temptation at some point in his life and it has led him into horrible places. He had his dwelling among the tombs. No man could bind him. And he goes on and describes how bad he was that no man could control him. And he was in the tombs crying and cutting himself with stones. You know, he was self-harming. And when he saw Jesus afar off, he ran and he worshipped him. And by the way, it also says that this man was unclothed. He had no clothes on. <laughs> and I, just in its basic form, I would say that when, when you give in to temptation, when Satan gets a hold of you, it makes you irrational. You know, this man was irrational. You couldn't reason with him. You couldn't control him. You know, do you know any irrational people? You know, maybe you look in the mirror and you think, well, I've been irrational. I know I have. You know, that's a form of Satan, Satan getting a hold of us. 
It doesn't mean that he's possessing you and controlling everything you do. It doesn't mean exactly what it means right here where this man was walking around without any clothes on and he was, he was irrational and uncontrollable and scary. But I want you to think of this basic form. You could be tempted and you could give in to temptation and you can become irrational. Nobody can reach you. <laughs> Somebody says, well, you did this and, and this has got a hold of you. Oh, whatever. You, know, that, that's, you could be irrational about being possessed of some temptation. I think it's kind of funny too, and maybe this is taken a little too far, but here this man was possessed and irrational and he took his clothes off. <laughs> That's embarrassing, isn't it? Well, you look at our society today from the billboards to the magazines to the things that are on the internet to the things that pop up if you just want to look at the news to the advertisements that are on TV. <laughs> you know, people are possessed. They're taking their clothes off. You know, I fully believe that before my time is ended on this work, on this earth, that you'll just have a channel. You know, there's already some show that's on that talks about, I can't even remember the name of it, but it's about people going, dropping them off out in the woods and they're completely naked. Before I leave this world, I, I believe they'll just be a naked channel. You know, just fill up on nakedness. That's what our society has become, possessed of nakedness. You see, that's what it means when we've, we've been tempted and we give in. Irrational unclothed, totally embarrassing, making other people uncomfortable. Can you imagine if you were out there walking past this area where the wild Gadarean wasn't? Here he comes and, oh, kids, cover your eyes. You know, this is a naked man running around. Well, how many times are you sitting there, I hope, and you're watching, I don't know, there's coming a time when I won't be able to, we won't be able to watch advertisements anymore. You watch an advertisement for like a, you know, a piece of jewelry or something, you know, a wedding ring. I'll sit there with Sister Tracy and I'll say, now you watch, you watch closely, it's coming, it's coming. And you see the man and the woman up there and they're smiling. Oh, and so-and-so's asked me to marry. And then at the very end, there's a little flash of a man and a man or a woman and a woman possessed. Let me tell you, our society is possessed of such things. And it's just a little snippet of it right now. But one of these days, it's just going to be that. I'm like, we can't even watch the advertisements anymore. Parents, are you listening to me today? Do you know what your kids are watching? Do you know what Satan is saying to them whenever they watch those things? Do you know what the advertisements are doing? It's a difficult time to live, isn't it? Aren't you glad that God's grace is sufficient? You say, well, that doesn't faze me. Yes, it does. It does faze you whether you realize it or not. That's how Satan works. If you say it doesn't faze you, then you're set up for giving into temptation. Now, if you resist temptation and you don't become possessed of the temptation like the wild Gadarean did. By the way, side note, you know, Jesus cast that devil out of the wild Gadarean and he was clothed and he was rational. It says he was in his right mind. He was not crazy anymore. Okay? So the Lord is the answer, for sure. Look at Acts 13 and 8. It says this of a man that Paul encountered. Now, I want you to think about this. If you resist the temptation and you don't let the temptation possess you to whatever degree it may possess you, in Acts the 13th chapter, I'm telling you another tactic of Satan is that he wants to turn you away from the faith. Turn you away from serving God. Look at Acts 13. And verse 8, we're going to jump right in the middle of it. This is when Paul was preaching in an area, and there was this man who had great influence over the politics, the political scene. His name was Elimus. He was a false guy. He was a, he was a false messiah. And look at verse 8, it says, Acts 13 and 8, but Elimus, the sorcerer, for so his name by interpretation, withstood them, that's Paul and the preachers, seeking to turn away the deputy from the faith. The man who was believing the truth, there's, there's an influence going on there trying to turn him away from the faith. You ever had anybody say, I, I know this is some of your experiences. You ever had anybody say, ah, don't go over there, those primitive Baptists, they're, they're a cult. <laughs> you know, 
those old hard shells, oh, you know, don't, don't go over there. That's just a little too weird. Weird seems to be the word today, doesn't it? Weird preacher, you know, weird practices. <laughs> you know, that, that's what Satan wants you to do. Listen, think about it. You say, well, how can I know that I need to be going over there? If somebody's trying to get something out of you, that's a good indication that you need to be very careful. See, I'm not trying to get anything out of you. I don't have an ulterior motive. I just want you to worship the Lord. I want you to see the truth and worship the Lord. That's what Paul was doing here with this deputy, this politician of the area. And then this other guy's over here saying, you better watch out. You better watch out. Those guys, they're dangerous. Well, how are they dangerous? What was Paul doing that was dangerous? What was Paul trying to get out of that guy? You see, that's what Satan wants you to think. Ooh, there's an ulterior motive going on there. See, we don't want an ulterior motive. We just want the motive of Christ. You see? So... If Satan can't get you to give in to temptation and he can't get you to be possessed of your temptation by giving into it, then he's just going to try to turn you away from the faith. And Satan's a trickster. Look at Ephesians 6 and 11. Ephesians 6 and 11. He's a trickster. That's what he did with Eve. He tricked her. He tricked her by lying to her. He asked her in the, in the Garden of Eden, you know, he said, has God said you can't eat of all the fruit of the trees in the garden? And she said, oh yeah, we can eat of them all except for one. And in the day that we eat of that one, the Lord said... That we'll die. <laughs> and Satan said, you shall not surely die. You know, he, he tricked her. He deceived her. He's a trickster. Ephesians 6 and 11, it says, Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. I've used this example for years and nobody watches these cartoons anymore but me. But there was Wile E. Coyote and the, and the Roadrunner. And Wile E. Coyote was always trying to deceive, you know, putting metal inside the bird seed. And then he's going to catch him with the magnet. You know, all these different things. You know, I know it's funny. It's a child's cartoonist. And you can't, the cartoons today can't even stand close to, you know, Bugs Bunny and those guys. But you understand, I got an amen on that. That's, that's amazing, isn't it? But here we go. If you look at what Satan does in your life, he's trying to trick you. He's a trickster. He's a deceiver. As a matter of fact, you know, he, he can even deceive you when it comes to the truth. 2 Timothy 2 and 26. This is another tactic of Satan. Listen to this. It says that they may recover themselves out of the snare of the devil who are taken captive by him at his will. This has to do with learning the truth. The servant of the Lord must not strive, but be gentle unto all men, apt to teach, patient, in meekness, instructing those that oppose themselves. If God, peradventure, or by chance will give them repentance to the acknowledging of the truth, that they may recover themselves out of the snare of the devil who are taken captive by him at his will. That's kind of scary, isn't it? I'm not trying to scare you here this morning, but I do want to put you on guard in terms of the way that Satan operates. You got temptation out there in the world? It's Satan. You give in to temptation and, and get possessed of certain things. You know, I've told you this before. I was possessed of playing music and writing music. It possessed me. <laughs> you know, we can get possessed of things that are not necessarily, it's not bad to play music and write music, but if you let it become your passion and it gets in the way of God and serving God, then guess what? You got yourself an idol. See? So here's how do you know if you have an idol. Just put it down for a little while and see where your desires are. And then you'll know if you've got yourself an idol or not. Okay? So Satan is trying to trick. He's trying to deceive. And this is, this is kind of a side note, but Satan is the master of deceiving in the realm of politics and political power. You know, it says that in, in Revelation 2 and 10, he speaks of Satan imprisoning some of you for a while. You can't picture Satan with a red tail and a horns on his head and a pitchfork going and throwing people in prison. He was manipulating the politics of the region so that those that were in power in the region would take the children of God who were preaching the truth and put them in jail. That's how Satan works. 
We have no clue about things like that, do we? Praise God, we've been living in a free country. But those times are coming again. I keep saying that and keep saying that. But they're coming. Those times are coming again. We've had it so good for so long. He's the master of manipulating politics. Let me tell you, child of God, the Lord has not put you here to go and take over the politics of this world. You know, God set up the initial government. God's kingdom is against the kingdoms of this world because the kingdoms of this world stand against him. You see, even though he initially set up the political structure of this world, the kingdoms of this world oppose God. It doesn't say that in Psalm 2. He says the kings of this world stood up and opposed the Christ. It says he that sitteth in the heavens shall laugh. God laughs at them. So yes, you need to vote. Yes, you need to be concerned about politics. Yes, you need to look at the candidates and see who is pro-life. You need to see those things. But just remember this, God's kingdom will continue and will maintain a presence in this world until the Lord returns. If you knew the stuff that was going on in Africa right now, uh, in Malawi and in Zambia where we have been in 2019, and just seeing how it just catches on like wildfire, the truth of God, the primitive Baptist truth, the truth of the Word of God, it's amazing to see. You think, well, what's going on there that's not going on here? And, And we've been blessed with growth. We've been blessed with doors of opportunity. But you're talking about hundreds of people that are coming to see the truth over there. One difference between them and us is they don't have near the prosperity that we have. (laughs) They don't have as much distraction as we have. You know, when's the last time on Monday, tomorrow, hey, Monday's tomorrow, today's the first day of the week. When's the last time on Monday that you sat down and you planned for this upcoming Sunday? And started praying about Sunday from Monday and then building on it on Tuesday and Wednesday. And by the time, by the time Friday or Saturday gets here, you've worked yourself up just into a, a burden and a desire. I can't wait to see what's in store. What message Brother Luke may preach. What message Brother so-and-so may preach. I can't wait. When's the last time we started making those preparations on Monday? I mean, I, I say that to my own shame. Sometimes I don't even think to myself. <laughs> you see, Satan is a trickster. He wants to deceive. He's also the imitator. Look at Luke 11 and 24. He imitates God. You see, Satan wants nothing more than to divert your attention away from God. And and he also wants us to worship him as God, in a sense. Look at Luke 11 and 24. And this is another man who was possessed of an unclean spirit, which was a, uh, we don't know exactly what that was. It could have been a devil. It could have been alcoholism. It could have been a drug addiction. We don't know exactly what's going on with this guy. But at Luke 11 to 24, Jesus says, when the unclean spirit has gone out of a man, he walketh through dry places seeking rest. Here's a guy that repented. He got over to, to some degree what his temptation was. He got out of it. He stepped back from it and said, thank goodness, I, I, that doesn't have a hold on me anymore. And it says he walks through dry places. Well, that was his first mistake. He, he goes to the desert to recover. <laughs> you know, he, he goes to a place where there's no spiritual influence. He's seeking rest. You can't find rest in the desert. You ever been to a desert? You can't find rest there. It's a very uncomfortable place. Dry, hot, sand everywhere. And he finds none. So he says, I will return into my house from whence I came out. You know, it wasn't so bad where I was. I'll go back and check out where I used to be. And when he comes, he finds it swept and garnished. It doesn't look so bad. You know, the, the landlord has come in and patched the, the door and patched the uh, wall and fixed up things. And it, it doesn't look so bad. Whereas he used to live there and just trash the place, you see, when he was under the influence of whatever he was under. 
And he goes and he said, well, I think I'll just go back in right here where I was. And he takes to him seven other spirits more wicked than himself. And they enter in and dwell there. And the last state of that man is worse than the first. He'd have been better off with one unclean spirit than seven. You see, that's the way Satan works. You see, that man went off alone. You remember I told you, guys, you're never alone. Satan wants you to think that you're alone. Now, as we close our thoughts here this morning, don't forget that Satan wants to murder you. <laughs> Jesus said that he is the murderer. John 8 and 44. He was the murderer in the beginning. He didn't take a gun or a knife and stick it in Adam and Eve. But the way he manipulated and the way he moved, he kept his, he kept his hands off of their physical blood. That's how Satan works. But he was fully responsible for their death because they died in sin. And ultimately, 900-something years later, they died. They left this world. Satan killed them. You understand? Satan wanted to kill Job. God wouldn't let him. He said, you can take his stuff. And eventually he said, you can take everything but his life. See, God is the one that's on our side. Satan is the murderer. He wants to murder you. And there's nothing more that he wants to do than murder churches and murder people and murder interaction and fellowship with one another. Look at 1 John 3 and 10. Listen to this very carefully. This is important. He says, in this, the children of God are manifest and the children of the devil. Whosoever doeth not righteousness is not of God, neither he that loveth not his brother. And by the way, it goes on and says that another place here that if you don't love your brother, then you're no different than a murderer. And Satan is the murderer. You see, Satan's goal is to divide you from your brother or your sister. And when I speak of brother and sister, it can be those in the own household. It can be those in the church. Of course, it means that. Satan seeks to divide and destroy and murder relationships. He doesn't want husbands and wives to be close and love each other and repent from their sins. He doesn't want siblings to be close. And he certainly doesn't want church people to be close. And if we are not loving one another, which means loving each other in spite of our shortcomings, then Satan has gained advantage of us. 1 Peter 5 and 8 says, Be sober, be vigilant, for your adversary the devil walketh about as a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. That's how Satan works. You hear Satan. You hear the squawking of Satan. You hear the roaring of the lion. You hear the squawking of the music or the television. Everywhere you go, you, can't, you, you can hardly find silence anymore. Did you know that? This is crazy, I know. But I used to enjoy going to the gas station and getting out of the car and putting the gas thing in there and just standing there and just meditating. Oh, what a peaceful moment, you know, and the thing will click off, you know, when it's done. I can't even do that now because they got this little TV on the gas station thing and it starts going. And I'm like, well, I can't even pump gas and get some peace anymore. Now, if you're sitting there and you say, oh, I like that. It's like it keeps me in the action. It keeps me in the game. You need to think twice about how you think. We need to meditate on the things of God. We need moments of peace. You know, when you go to the restaurant, it used to be that you didn't have music. I've had to say to several waitresses or waiters, could y'all please turn that music down just a little bit? We can't even think. We can't even speak, much less think with that music, Blair. Everywhere you go, you know, Satan wants you. I'm not saying every song that's blaring is from Satan. And I'm not saying there's nothing wrong with listening to certain good types of music. But everywhere you go, the device of Satan is to get in your ear and get in your mind. Satan wants to distract you from what God is calling us to do, which is to love one another, serve one another. You understand? You're walking around with earbuds in your ear. And I wear earbuds, especially when I run. (laughs) 
if you're walking around with that in your ear all the time and you can't interact and you can't focus and you can't talk and you can't speak and you can't invest in one another, you're invested in that, Satan may have you where he wants you. Well, this is a downer, isn't it? I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm usually pretty up. This is a downer. Let me just tell you this. Satan tempts. The Lord never tempts you. Okay? Satan will, the temptations will possess you. The Lord will never possess you with evil. You can get possessed, though, of serving God. And the Lord will never turn you away from the faith. He will only lead you to it. And the Lord will never trick you. He is brutally honest in the ways that he deals with. The Lord will never murder you. The Lord is the one that's going to take you to heaven and keep you alive for all of eternity. And the Lord will never lead you to divide and to hate your brother or your sister. He will only show by his example and by his teaching to lay down your life for one another. I hope that's been profitable. If there's someone here that feels the desire to lay down their life and follow the Lord, the Lord makes it very simple. He says, follow me in New Testament baptism. The Lord's not asking you to do anything different than what he did himself. So we give you that opportunity as we stand and sing.